Good on you. Yeah, quiet today. Just going to hand over to Sue. She's going to be reading our Bible passage today. We're going to be looking again at Acts 11, and we're going to be reading verses 19 to 30. Sorry, it's over two pages. Um, Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he took him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Abagus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Thanks, Sue. It's no easy feat to turn your Bible pages when your hands are frozen. If it's any consolation, it's colder here than it is at the back of the hall. I just had a moment at the back of the hall, and I said, actually, it's about five degrees warmer. But um, freezing up here. Um, my name's Dan, I'm part of the leadership team here, and I'm responsible for the heating. Apologies. <laughs> just uh, before I get on to it, I just, uh, during the worship, um, Kath shared about where she, Kath shared, and, and, and then they, we sung a song, uh, Raise a Hallelujah, and it, those words, um, I raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery. And I don't know whether, you know, anything that, that Kath shared about, you know, what, we, what people are walking through uh, resonated, and, but I was drawn to, to Hebrews 11, and it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance is about what we do not see. And then it goes on in this passage to explain it by faith, and then it talks about lots of heroes of the faith, by faith so-and-so did this, and by faith, and it goes on all of that passage. And then it says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So these, all these people, by faith, claim, uh, step into something, but they never receive the fullness of it because God has something planned in eternity when we're all together. And then it says in verse 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, considering him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Just a reminder of that passage of like, if that's your moment right now, if you're feeling like, you know, what, as, as Kaf said, you're like, actually, I'm walking through some stuff right now. That reminder for all those people, you can go and read Hebrews this afternoon, Hebrews 11. All those people who never saw the fullness of it, and yet, together, they remind each other. Together, they stare one another to remind them of Jesus. They keep going, look at, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, keep looking at him. For the, for the cross. Let's look at the cross and see what Jesus did. Because of him, we have life and we know what's coming. We receive what we're currently believing in faith. We receive his fullness. And, and that sense of, you know, since we are surrounded. And, and today, I want us to look at what it is to be a gathered people. And actually, that becomes vital when you're going through, like Kaf said, tough moments or you're struggling. Actually, when you're surrounded by people who are constantly saying, no, but not minimizing your stuff, but saying, no, look, but look, let's look at Jesus. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so today, I want to look at the importance of gathering. And last week, I began, I was looking at the, the church in Antioch that we find described in, in Acts. And it is this church community that I believe gives us a wonderful example of what it means for us to be church, what we should strive for. A church that shows strong convictions, that share community, where everyone is contributing and where there is a focus on the commission given to us by Jesus to go and make disciples. Conviction, con- community, contribution, commission. And just a reminder that this church began because of persecution. It causes the church to be scattered. Sue read it to us in Acts 11, the first verse is 19 to 20. Now those who were scattered by persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word among only the Jews. Some of them, however, members from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. This scattering causes the gospel to be preached. But we see that from scattering, gatherings of new believers begin. They don't continue to be scattered. In Antioch, the the believers begin to reach new communities. They preach the gospel, and it tells us in verse 21 that the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Communities, new communities of followers of Jesus begin to gather in new areas, including in Antioch. And today I want to look at why community, why gathering is important. Because I believe that everyone, every one of us has this deep desire for community. In the Garden of Eden, God creates all things. He creates man and then he says it's not good to be alone. And so he creates woman. He creates community. Humanity has this need for togetherness. The Bible describes it as a word cornea, which is a fellowship, togetherness, oneness. And every one of us since that point has felt the need for community. And yet every generation 
has struggled to achieve it. You know, ten, just a few pages on, you're up to ten, very far on from, from the creation of man and woman. And, and what do we find? We find humans at war with one another. Cain and Abel, you can read the story, but then not long afterwards, every one of us, and God sees the mess, and we see sort of characters like Noah and the floods arrive on the scene. So if you're feeling a lack of community, a lack of fellowship, if you're experiencing broken relationships, or a lack of intimacy with others, you have not and are not alone in that. This is not a new problem. Although, I do think things have shifted over the last few years. We've always struggled with community. And I don't want to get into us thinking like, oh, let's go back to the good old days or something like that. But we are dealing with a new environment. A new era in community began, I think, you might disagree with me, but around 2007. Does anyone know what happened in 2007? Pardon? No. (laughs) Thank you. The iPhone got created. The The creation of the iPhone, 2007. And over the next two, three, five years, if you're a little slower, everybody started to get these things called smartphones in their hands. Suddenly, we had this technology in our hands. Now, before you get angry, I'm not going to assault technology. I wrote this sermon on a laptop. I love when I'm away from home, I've got a couple of days in Birmingham this week, and I love that I'm going to be able to FaceTime my family on the phone and see them while I'm away. Um, I love next day deliveries when I'm in need as much as the next person. If you know me, One of the things that I think is horrendous in this world is a thing called a supermarket. And so I love that every Wednesday evening, between 8 and 9, my Tesco delivery turns up at my front door. And yes, it is worth the £3.50 monthly subscription because I hate supermarkets so much. I love that today people are able to join us online who wouldn't normally be able able to watch, and they can watch from their homes. And the smartphone era has contributed three things. Firstly, it's contributed speed. We have access to what we want, when we want, or at least as quickly as we can scroll. Secondly, it's given us choice. We have endless arrays of options. You want Italian tonight? You can have Italian tonight. You want Chinese? You have Chinese. Indian, Thai, Japanese. You can have whatever food you want. My co-op, the co-op at the end of my street does home delivery. Like, just I could just there, I can have it in my house in one hour. The third thing is individualism. Everything is customized for your own experience. Customized adverts delivering right in front of you the very things that you like. Now, with this comes comfort and convenience. There's good things about technology, but we need to understand the cost. We have to recognize that it has hindered, not helped, our ability to connect with others and to be in community. 
Towards the end of 2021, Susan Metz, uh, she released a book called The Loneliness Epidemic. I've spoken about this before, but she used extensive research that she'd done in the US, and she defined loneliness as the distress someone feels when their social connections don't meet their need for emotional intimacy. Loneliness is this lack of connection. For some people, it might be this moment when they suddenly realize they're alone, and they're not used to it. For others, it might be a constant state as they live alone or have few or no close friends. Loneliness causes us to thirst for community. We want people we can call friends. For some people, that might be seeking a husband or a wife. For others, it might be friends you can share your life with. And the issue right now is that many of us are living with those desires unmet. We are in a lonely world. In this study, she found pre-pandemic that in the US, at least a third of US adults reported that they felt lonely for some of the day. Only if over half felt lonely at least once a week. And, and Susan Metz also found that people had a particular profile in mind when they thought of lonely people. And people would often think they would be often elderly. They would describe them elderly, unattractive, and isolated. That was the words that were used. But she actually found that two of the most lonely groups of people were young adults and singles. And what she found was that the, the, during the COVID-19 pandemic, things got significantly worse, with 39% of single people saying that they experienced loneliness either daily or constantly. I, I had that during the pandemic, I had my family to be with. I can't imagine what it was like for you who struggled, who were by yourself at that time. But to bring that closer to home, because we might say, well, that's the US, and that's a different culture, in the UK, 45% of adults would describe themselves as sometimes or often lonely. That equates to 25 million people experiencing loneliness in our country. Despite having more social interactions than ever before, we have not fulfilled our desire for community. We have a loneliness epidemic. And it is a, a corporate social sickness. It goes beyond just someone sat at home, but it affects nearly half of our nation. It's harming our bodies, our minds, our souls. Loneliness increases the likelihood of mortality by 26%. Loneliness is associated with increased risk of developing coronary heart disease and strokes. Loneliness puts individuals at greater risk of cognitive decline and dementia. Lonely individuals are more prone to depression. Loneliness and low social interaction are predictives for suicide in older age. Our lack of community is literally killing us, and yet God made us to be in community. How can we experience the community we crave? Is it even possible? I think the book in the church in Antioch shows it is. And I want us to turn today a little bit on from the passage that Sue read to us to Acts 15 to see this in action. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn there. We're just going to keep dipping it in and out of there. But Acts 15, verse 1 and 2, it says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church in Antioch is still fairly young at this point, but these Jewish believers who were scattered from Jerusalem, they have shared the gospel with the Gentiles, who have responded to the gospel. Now these new believers are in the church. Some people begin to teach that, not, that the new Gentiles, the, those who are not Jews, 
They should be circumcised in order to be saved like the Jews were. This is a moment, a big moment for the church. Do the Gentiles need to be circumcised to be saved? That's the question. But beneath it, there are other questions. Are Gentiles truly part of the church? Will the Gentiles always be second-class citizens compared to the Jews? And this is a moment that has the potential to completely divide the early church and have huge impact on gospel advance. It starts with a moment of division, and later in the chapter we find that it ends with a community that is united. And I think as we look at how this happens, we can learn a lot about how we can experience true community. So Paul and Barnabas travel to Jerusalem to discuss the issue with the church there. And it says in verse 5, Some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then... Why do you try and test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter reminds the believers that we are all saved by Christ. That the church in Antioch had received the same Holy Spirit as them, that they must not put up barriers that God does not. Paul speaks about this in Ephesians 2. Therefore, remember, from verse 11 in Ephesians 2, therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those themselves who called the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. He's saying that, you know, there was, the, there was these circumcised Jews and there was a Gentile. You were Gentiles. You were far away from God. And then he says from verse 13, But now, Christ Jesus, in, sorry, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who has made two groups one. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both... Jews and Gentiles, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Christ has given access to the kingdom to both Jews and Gentiles. God has brought down the barriers that divided us and created a new humanity. Now, the church has done a really good job over the years of trying to put up the barriers to stop us being one church. 
I recently was reading about uh, the, the, the Windrush generation and, and black Christians who arrived into our nation from the Caribbean during the 40s and 50s and how they turned up at churches expected to be welcomed and they were rejected by their brothers and sisters, often having to go and form new churches because they were not accepted in our churches. Horrendous treatment by Christians, their own brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet as I listened to that, as I read some of the stories, I I did wonder, what are the barriers that we put up, that we place to stop people accessing the kingdom of God? It might be race. It might be we, we, we don't truly embrace those who are different to us. It could be barriers around class. It may be when you look at the sin of other people and go, yeah, I might have done something bad, but not as bad as them. You know, I can't believe someone would come into church wearing that. I can't believe that person still smokes. Or if that person was truly a Christian, they, they would be doing this and not that. We place barriers before people that God doesn't. And the cross, but the cross, levels the playing field. None of us were deserving and yet we have received salvation because of the grace of God. That's really good news. On a cold day, you can smile. That's really good news. Because community never happens if we approach it with judgmental hearts. And yet, we need more than just shared salvation to achieve community. There are lots of churches and lots of Christians that have I share salvation with. We both know Jesus, and yet we disagree on some major things when it comes to Scripture. Now, that doesn't stop me from loving them, but it limits the level of uh, community we can experience because for true community, we must have shared convictions. Back to Acts 15. They have met to consider the matter. They have agreed on what they believe, and then they have wrote this letter that was to be delivered to the church. Verses 22. Then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, men who were leaders among the, who were leaders among the believers. But them, with them, they sent the following letter. This is what they wrote to the church in Antioch. The apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we agreed to choose men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by the word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to you, to the Holy Spirit, and to us, not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from the food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You do well to avoid these things. Farewell. The believers came to agreement on what they believed and what this should look like in practice, what the new believers needed to do. They couldn't just agree to disagree. They needed to make a decision on their beliefs. There are certain issues that we just can't agree to disagree on. The Church of England are dealing with this issue at the moment when it comes to the issue of sexuality and marriage. My personal thought is it will divide them because I just don't think it's something that they can agree to disagree on. At Jubilee, there is space for different views. You need to hear this. There is space for different views here. 
There are a whole load of things that you and I might have different views on. In our leadership team, there's a whole load of things that we have different views on. However, community is strengthened by shared conviction. There is space to grapple with things. We're not going to ask you to leave if you come up to me today and say, I believe this. I'm not going to say, well, sorry, there's the door. But you, there will be certain views that will be difficult to hold on to and be part of us. For example, if you believe that women cannot preach the word of God, you're going to find it very difficult to sit under the teaching of some of the amazing women we have in this church. It's just reality. If you don't believe that we can all experience the Holy Spirit, you're going to find it difficult when we minister and pray for one another. If you believe that same-sex marriages, example, are permitted by God in Scripture, you're going to find it difficult when we say to you, no, we only conduct marriages here between one man and one woman. That doesn't mean we don't create a welcoming space for all. We don't say, come and see. Come and grapple with these questions. But community always has a degree of exclusivity or it's meaningless. And so the convictions that the church in Antioch has leads them to decisions about practice. Much to the relief of the the Gentiles, I am sure, they have told that they do not need to be circumcised. Praise God! But then they are instructed, but you are to abstain from food sacrificed by idols, from blood, from meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You do well to avoid these things. There is a decision made about what convictions look like in practice. It's not that these practices will save us. We are saved by the grace of God alone. And yet we have to work out what our salvation looks like together. James 2 tells us that faith without works is dead. For for both the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, the gospel and being part of community demands something from them. For true community, we must always be willing to sacrifice for one another. Flourishing communities always demand sacrifice, a willingness to inconvenience ourselves for the good of the community. We do this every time we give. My life would be more comfortable if I kept everything for myself And yet, as we give sacrificially, others benefit. We sacrifice as we serve. We put others' needs before our own. We're not serving so we can progress up the ladder of church importance. No, we serve so that others will gain. Whether that's the rest of the church, as we get to enjoy a a cup of coffee after the service because of our amazing welcome team. Whether it's the fact that we had a clean toilet because someone cleaned it this week. Whether it's our children who benefit as you serve on our explorers. Whether it's the homeless community who get to come in this week and have showers and laundry because our amazing teams serve them. We sacrifice as we care for one another. Putting the needs of others before our own. You know, maybe in community when you choose not to have alcohol at a meal because there's someone present who you know would struggle if you drank. When you take time to call someone we haven't, you haven't seen for a couple of weeks to check how they are. Maybe even today you sacrifice your own personal preferences when it comes to worship style so that you can be with us. I could go on. Our desire to be united as a community results in sacrifice. 
We see this in Antioch, and it's vital for us as well. Choosing the health of the whole community above our own personal preferences. Church is not about having your needs met, but it is giving ourselves to one another. And therefore, for true community to happen, it it, it is vital that it requires physical presence. Our gatherings are vital. Back to our passage in Acts 15, 30 to 31, it says this. So the men were set off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church and delivered the letter. The people read it and they were encouraged for its encouraging message. They were glad, sorry, they were glad for its encouraging message. The church was always intended to be a gathered people. Yes, you may have enjoyed those first few weeks of the COVID-19 pandemic when you could do church in your PJs. But quickly, we all began to crave physical presence. I met with someone this week who is not able to join us because of ill health. And and although they watch online every week, good morning, they feel disconnected. What they desire is presence. And it is vital for every one of us in community. We can be in unity with believers all over the world. I love our regions beyond family. We can be family together. We can support one another. We can pray for one another. But our sense of community is always limited about physical presence. You know that. If you've been, we love our church, our region beyond family, but then suddenly I'm like, I watch a video or I can pray a prayer, but suddenly I'm in the room with people. Oh, my connection levels go through the roof. Suddenly I get it. Suddenly I feel connected. The church in Acts are built around gatherings, in the temples and in the homes. Often meals play a central part to how the early church community functions. At Jubilee, our Sundays, our life groups, our clusters, they are vital for the health of our community. I believe that you can know intimately those in your life group, six to eight people. You can know well those in your cluster, 20 to 30 people. And then as a family, we feel that sense of togetherness as we come together as a whole family every Sunday to worship God. You will never feel fully connected if Sundays is your only point of connection. But when we gather on Sundays, we have a responsibility to draw people into community. Sundays are often people's first experience of Jubilee. And we all have a responsibility to welcoming people in, to helping them feel at home. I know some of us are introverts, and when we say to you, turn around and say hello to someone, you start sweating. I know that. But every one of us can walk across the room and say good morning today. Yeah? And once you have been welcomed into that community, then get involved in our life groups and clusters. These are places where you're going to get to know people and be known. And I realize that there are people who cannot be with us on Sundays due to ill health. Can I say to you who are present, let us be intentional about making sure they feel connected to the family. Phone calls, visits, prayers, offers of practical support. They go a huge way with people when they feel in a sense of isolation. I love talking about the church as family because that's what it is. We don't always get it right. It is a dysfunctional family at times, but it only becomes family when we share our lives. To know and be known. Who could you reach out to this week and connect with deeper? Who could you go to this, af- uh, this morning after the service and speak to? Maybe you need to find out about our life groups and clusters this term. What would it look like for you to sacrifice your preferences for the benefit of 
community. I wonder if the band could join me. The church in Antioch was diverse and yet was united because of their shared salvation, their shared convictions, their commitment to community, their willingness to contribute and their desire to live out the Great Commission, to be people who are disciples who make disciples. And so as I talk about gathering and unity, we're going to end this morning by taking communion. This is an act together of unity. No matter what differences we hold, we are united because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Just take a look around the room for a second. Just have a look. These people who you would have no idea who they were, the majority of them, if it wasn't for Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says, Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body because we all share in one loaf. As we take communion this morning, we're going to sing a song of worship. We're going to go and collect our kids and bring them back in so we can do this as families and then could see a leaders for it in a moment. But as we take communion, this is a chance for some of us to recommit afresh to community, to give yourselves to one another. Maybe you've been resistant. Maybe you've been hurt in the past. Maybe you've just opted out for a while. It's a chance for us to give ourselves afresh to community. For some of us, you might need to go across the room and ask for forgiveness or to forgive a fellow member of the family before you can take communion and truly step in, enter into community. For others, you are not part of us yet. You're just looking in. And today, as you're invited to take communion, it's a chance for you to make that decision to play, be a part of us.